Okay, great. So we're talking about authority in the church is different. And I uh, said that God-given authority, we can, we can see by a measure of, measure of revelation, God-given authority is also, we can also see by the release of life in that person's life. And uh, so now we're on number three. Number three is a God-given authority submits to other God-given authority. Uh, Genesis, in Genesis 9, verse 20, it says this, After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk, and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his, that his, uh, the, yeah, the father of Canaan, sorry, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and, and backed into the, in the, into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so that they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So what we see in this uh, scripture here is just the importance of of honoring authority. I mean, the most uh, common uh, story that we use maybe in, in this context would be uh, David and Saul, where David had many opportunities to actually put Saul down, one or two opportunities to actually kill him, but he doesn't do that because he actually recognizes that authority. And it's important for us to know that there's, a, there's always a, a time that God has for us uh, to bring us into authority. And uh, there's no place for us to, um, to, to just run wild, but, but in, in us being submissive in authority, in us working together with authority, uh, we, God actually finds us faithful, then He gives us our own authority. Those who are not able to have authority and be under authority, may I say, might, might be future dictators. As soon as they get the authority and they grab it, um, they then become dictators. But those that are able to work under authority, uh, those that are able to be tested over a long period of time, they're actually ones um, that, have the op that have the ability to do that. And so here in this particular passage of Scripture, um, we see that Noah's, Noah's uh, son um, Ham um, saw that, that Noah's conduct was wrong. Noah was the head of, the, of his family and the head of the world, so you could say, at that time. And um, yet Fam, um, Ham uh, failed to see the dignity of that authority. And uh, he... Basically, his flesh delighted in, he has his authority, he's made a mistake, um, he's drunk in the tent, and so he goes out and he actually exposes his nakedness, exposes that authority and the mistakes that he made to, to others, and as a result of that, uh, ends up getting cursed. And those that actually walk backward into the tent, Shem and Japheth, and actually wanted to protect the, 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 um, the weakness of their, of their father, who, the, who was in authority, they actually end up getting blessed. And I believe there's a, there's a real principle here for us, and that is that we need to, to learn that 
that uh, a God-given authority is someone who, who really does submit to authority elsewhere, submits to authority, and uh, is prepared to, um, to, prepared to work with authority before they actually get their own authority. We had a very young guy who came to our church. Um, this, was in about, this was when the second or third year that we were leading in Dresden. And here this young guy comes along, and uh, a radical young guy. He was like 19, 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, he didn't want to sin um, also sexually. So he was married to his wife, and she was like 18, and he was 20. And they were like radically on fire for Jesus. Um, they had uh, got out of the, um, the Lutheran church in, in, in Germany because they disagreed with, you know, with the liberalism in the church, etc., etc. And so, so they, they come to our church. And then uh, we get in contact with them. We'd say to them, hey, listen, what's, what are you guys doing? What's happening? He tells me, oh, we just gathered, a, we, just, we had a group of, uh, got a group of young people meeting in our home. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't know what church, we didn't know anything about church. So we just started to speak to them, disciple them. And he said, uh, just a month or two ago, we actually went down to the river and we all baptized each other. You know, we baptized them and they baptized us and so on. And like, but we, we're loving Jesus and we're going for it, you know. And so he says, so he comes to the church and uh, says he wants to be part of the church. And then he says, you know, I just want to, I want to come into the church and uh, I want to be part of the team here. And, um, and we I want to just bring this group um, into the church. And so looking at this young guy, I thought, I think he's got a good heart. I think he's got a good attitude. Uh, but I think the solution is going to be that he really needs to, uh, release those people to come into the church and to be part of the life of our church. He needs to trust God to raise him up in our context, and then God will give him that authority for his own group again. I knew it was going to be a tough conversation, so I sat him down and I said, look, this is the situation. Um, I, I think that God's really got his hand in your life, but I, I really think that for our church, where it's at, and for you as well, you need to let these guys come into the church, disband this group, uh, because we don't want you to be just a little group of your little island in the church doing your own thing. So I waited to see what he was going to do. And uh, I knew that it was tough for him. And he said, I actually want to be part of this church. And so if you think that's the way to go, uh, I will do that. So he went off, disbanded the group, didn't speak negatively against us integrated those guys into the life of the church, went into a, went in a small group, and actually he was a lot stronger than the leader of the group that he was part of, but we didn't have all that many groups back then. And then after a while, I felt the moment came, and then I went to him and I said, you know what, uh, I think that the anointing of God is upon you uh, for, for, for leadership, and, I, and I've, I'm going to give you some, some names of people, and I want to ask you to start a new life group, small group yourself. So he was very chuffed with that, and uh, he went and started a small group and did an incredible job. He was one of our best small group leaders that we ever had. Unfortunately, he, he got a teaching post in, in another province um, and uh, left our church, but he's connected with us. They often come back over holidays, come to the church, love us, love on us, look, you know, hug us. We've got great relationship with them. But here's a young guy who, though, was hard back then. He's a wild, radical guy. He actually said, look, I'll submit to what you say. And uh, God has raised him up and has blessed that man, has blessed him in leadership, blessed him in his family. And uh, I believe that God will continue to do that. 
We had a young, another couple come to our church uh, maybe two, three years ago. Come out of a very, very difficult situation. Um, come to the church, and uh, I knew the context in which they came, and so they started coming to the church, and after a while they said, look, we want to become members of the church. And we had met with them a couple of times. And in all the, mess, all the conversations that we had, he had every opportunity to down the leadership of the place that he came from. But he never, he never once spoke negatively against the leaders where he had come from. And, uh, and I was, I'm totally amazed by that. In fact, I mean, I still have that, I have a high regard for him. I believe that God's got more for that young guy, that young couple. Uh, because what's, what, what, if, he, if he's in this difficult context coming to another church, is not prepared to speak negatively against that authority that he came from, Do you, you know what that's going to mean for how he's going to be in our church. Okay? If he's got an issue with me ever, he's going to come and speak to me face to face, and he's never going to create any waves in the church. See, and God's going to raise him up because he's got his hand on that couple, a great couple. And so authority that God wants to bless and authority that, uh, that will have success is that which is birthed with that kind of attitude. And that which is birthed in an attitude of rebellion uh, is not going to be successful. It might look successful for a while, uh, it might have all the characteristics of another church or whatever, but at the end of the day, uh, there is gonna, something is, they're gonna, it's, it's going to come apart. We had a situation in our, in our own city where a group of people left a church, started a church, was rebellion, we're going to show you, we're going to do you know, the, the wrong attitude. For eight or ten years, for eight years, it looked like the church was doing okay. Between the eighth and tenth year, it fell apart. Problems, foundations in the problems in the foundations. What they started with, what they sowed into the church, was actually what they got. And after eight years, they just got it all back again. And uh, it's something that we we really need to watch out for. So Ephesians, in Ephesians 5:21, it says, "Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ." And so what that says to me is that each one of us. Uh, who's in a call to be an authority in the church needs to remain teachable. Uh, we, are, we in our eldership team, uh, eldership team, if they're here, they would, they, would, they would say to you again and again, they would, that I say to them again and again, listen guys, um, I want you to speak into my life. I am not, I'm not like, I'm not like floating around in another cloud and you guys are just my, my servants or my people that I tell to do things. But I'm actually in this team. We're a team here. We're a team of elders, a team of pastors. And you've got to speak into my life. If you see something that's in my life that is not in, is not in order, if you see some problem in relationship with my wife, uh, some attitude that, I, that begins to develop in me, you are the ones that need to speak into my life. And I'm actually asking you, speak into my life. Because it doesn't matter what God has in, in, in store for me up ahead, it doesn't matter if he's going to multiply what he does with us tenfold or a hundredfold. Um, I am an authority that needs to be submitted to other people who are in spiritual authority. That's what it's about. And therefore, by doing that, we actually protect ourselves. We protect the body of Christ. But the problem that we so often have is that, is that every time, well, not every time, but, but sometimes when a leader begins to actually have a certain amount of success and a certain amount of authority, he begins to, to actually make himself unaccountable and actually lower the team and, and raise himself, and then we begin to have problems because who's going to speak into his life? And so this is about, no, it's not about us, 
This is about the health of the church. This is about the health of the flock that we're actually leading. And therefore, these things need to be in place. Let's be uh, teachable and remain teachable. Number four, a God-given authority is secure. And we're going to read number 16. So number 16, um, and it's verse, um, yeah, verse 1 to 5. One day Korah, son of Ezar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abitant, uh, Abira, sorry, Abiram, the sons of Elia, and, and On, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. They included, they uh, sorry, they incited. Sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really doing this too well. Yeah, they incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and, and Aaron and said, "You have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and He is with all of us. What right do you have?" to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people. So, I mean, this is again, it's an attack against their authority. Uh, and this is how Moses responds. When Moses heard that they were saying what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. And then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. And uh, so his authority is attacked, and so what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't try to revenge himself. What he actually does, he falls on the ground, and he says, God, you able to defend who I am. And that is a very, very tough lesson. And uh, in our leadership experience, uh, this lesson has come around again and again, okay, because we cannot always defend ourselves. We planted the church in Benoni in South Africa. Uh, we had a group of about 25 people that went with us to plant the church. And um, it was great. We took um, friends with us. We, the, the whole the church was behind it. They sent us out. Uh, and so we had this group that we started with. And amongst the group, there was a young couple. Uh, well, we were also young back then. And uh, so we <laughs> were just starting out like 30, 31. And so we take this, this couple with us. And uh, they were good friends of ours. They were part of our small group in the big church, and we're in a planet with them. So after a while, we'd been going about two months and so on, and we began to hear from them. They start saying to us things like, saying to Renee, Renee was leading the worship, and um, he was a musician, and his wife was also a singer. And so they began to say to things, things like, you know, on Sunday mornings, it would be so much better if you stood next to your husband in church. Be so much better if you weren't on the stage. Uh, and so uh, Renee said to him, "Well, look, you know, but I mean, I feel that God's called 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 us to lead, to me to lead worship. We would talk about it and say, oh, I believe that that's the right thing to do.' And uh, so this began to become a bit of an issue. And so what actually came out was that they came to the church plant, thinking that she's going to stand next to me in church on Sunday, and that they are going to be the main worship leaders of the new church. Okay, which which we disagreed with. 
they weren't ready for it at that stage. Maybe if they got their hearts right, it could have been, it could have been like that later on. And so they went um, after about six months, um, after a number of conversations with us and some difficult chats, they said, we're leaving. We're going back to Cornerstone, which was the big church where we came from. So they went back to that church. And, um, and then after they'd been there a little while, we began to get like calls from people back in the church. Man, you know, how can you guys, how come you guys treated these guys so badly? Uh, we can't believe what we're hearing about the things that you did to them. And, you know, they were only trying to help you. And how did you do this? And, you know, they were, you know, you've just cut them down. And, and all these kind of stories began to come back to us. And we realized that there's no way that we can actually defend ourselves because we're not in that context. We can't, we don't know what they're saying. We don't know who they're saying it to. And so we, we, we really felt like, the, like God said to us, just... You can't do anything and it was really tough that was our first big experience of keep your mouth closed because there's nothing you can do about it and we began to realize jesus went through the same thing himself falsely accused and what did he do did he you know did he get involved in acts of revenge or did he keep his mouth closed and get led to the slaughter so we began to realize this is actually, this is actually a lesson that leaders have and it comes again and again so we, we learned a lesson from that. Later on, we handed over our church, went to Germany, went through it again. Some of the people that were criticizing us as when you ha that we had in, that were in the church, well, they all came out of the woodwork, you could say. They were like, you know, those guys did this, and they, they did that, and so on. And we started to hear the same thing. And now we're in another continent, and there's no way we can defend ourselves. Okay? We have to say, let it go. It's, you've got to let God fight the battle. Now, the lesson for us is, the lesson for you is, that is, the, is to respond like Moses responded. See, he could, have, he could have fought back. And maybe he could have cursed them from heaven or something. You know, but what does he do? He gets attacked. And it's not just with one leader. There's 250 leaders against him. What does he do? He throws himself on the ground and he says, God, help me. You know, you're the one that's going to defend me. And what happens? God actually defends him. Okay, now it was good for him that it, the defend, God defended him physically. You know, he was able to see what actually happened to those that were against him. I'm sure he quite enjoyed it, really. Uh, but, but for others of us, sometimes it takes a long time. Okay, you know what happened? You won't believe this. We that couple that that left our church plant, we ended up at a conference in Holland. And this is maybe ten years later. We had a conference in Holland, and we checked in, and we were in a hotel room, and, uh, and we opened our hotel room door, and you know what? They actually were given the hotel. They were at that conference. They came to the conference, and their hotel room was exactly across the passage from ours. Huh? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know that God wants to do something with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and so the good thing was that we had two days there, and actually we got to speak, and we got to speak some hard stuff, and they just said, we are so sorry. We, we, you know, we realized we made a mistake. You cannot believe what's happened in our lives since then, and they had a whole lot of disaster that happened to them. And we didn't celebrate that at all, but we just celebrated the fact that from that day onwards, um, we had sp at least been able to speak to one another, and the relationship was, uh, you know, there's no tension in the relationship any longer. So God's busy with that. Jesus was silent in the face of the accusers, 
And uh, he's the one that makes our righteousness shine like the noonday sun. Psalm 37, you can read it there. Number five. We're going to... Have you got some sound? It's a little video for this. Isn't that amazing? You know, that's my... That is, that is my... That's my picture of what a pastor does. That's what pastors sh should be doing. That's what elders do. And the fifth, the fifth point is God-given authority serves and does not seek to be served. I spoke about it a little bit in the beginning, but this is for me the picture. This is for me the picture about what is it that we what is it we can do to bless the flock that God's put us as shepherds over? And uh, many times in different discussions that I've had with leadership teams in different places in the world, uh, I've asked them the question, what is the best for the flock? We have discussions about what should we do next, and then everyone's bringing their opinion about, about the decision. And uh, sometimes you realize that it's, uh, the, the discussion is more about how's it going to affect me. And the, the, the question needs to be much more about how's it going to affect them. We need to make a decision that's good for them. And so I just, I just love this, this picture because this is what I hold in my heart. And I say every time, every time that someone's taking strain, uh, like who am I just to walk past them? You know, who, who am I just to say, well, okay, I'm, I'm actually the leader of this church. I don't have time for that. Now, we have a lot of people in our church, and it's tough sometimes. And sometimes I feel like it's, I feel like I don't know how I'm going to cope. I mean, I've got a whole team. Of course, that helps a lot. But these moments when it, when it, for, when it comes, when, when, you, when you feel the pressure coming on you, when you feel like you, where's there any energy for that? I get reminded that Jesus loved the one. He loved the one, and we need to keep in a place where we love the one. That means like we not serve, serve, and not we're there to serve and not to be served. And I read that scripture in the beginning in Matthew twenty twenty is of course that scripture, um, which is uh, for us, and speaks about the fact that he did not come to be served, uh, but to serve. So Paul speaks. Uh, Paul says that the authority that he's been given uh, in in uh, two uh, two Corinthians ten. I think I. 2 Corinthians 10, um, you can write it down, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 8, he's been given an authority to build up and not to tear down. Uh, so he really understood what it was about. And when I look at this particular picture here, and I see like, this is how, this is how a, father, a father helped his, his son who was in agony, and he'd obviously trained for this event for, for, for so long, agony helps him cross the line. Uh, that's what I hope I do. Hope that people in my church will one day say, "Hey, he helped us cross the line." Okay, he was there for us when it went wrong. He helped us cross the line, and uh, that they hold that in their hearts. And Paul says, "I was there to build you up. I was not there to break you down." Two Corinthians ten verse eight. Uh, you can write it down. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, uh, "Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do." I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. Our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down, so I'll be ashamed. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. 
See, the authority that gets used, is it really, are we using authority to build up? Because that's why he's given it to us. And no, but no leader is put in authority in the church so that to make him feel good or to actually exercise and to build his little kingdom. That's not what it's about. We're actually given authority to build up. Now, sometimes we have to tear down things, but it's not tear down people. We might have to tear down a structure, but something in the church. But we need a, it's a different, that's different to actually dealing with people. We are never there to tear down people, but we are to there to, to build them up. Um, in, in 1 Peter 5, uh, 2 to 3, just write this down. It's, you can read it in another moment. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 to 3 says, We do not lord it over, but we serve the flock. We do not lord it over them, but we, we serve the flock. Uh, we, are not, we are not there for that which we can get out of it, but we are there actually to serve them. That's what it's about. Bill Johnson says this. Um, Bill Johnson, if you, if you don't know him, is a, he's a, a well-known international speaker. He says that we need to rule with the heart of a servant, and we do need to serve with the heart of a king. Think about that. We need to rule with the heart of a servant. So that means that we need to use authority for the sake of others. So that's, we're not using authority for our benefit. We're using authority for the sake of them. When I lead my church and I exercise authority, I'm actually doing it for the sake of them. I'm actually, if I have to, if I have to, to exercise my authority and deal with a sin issue in our church, this is, this is a dealing with a sin issue so that, that that yeast does not affect the dough in our church. Okay, so I, deal, I use that authority, I deal with that issue because it's for them. I'm not dealing with that authority to make myself, or using my authority to make myself feel good. Okay, so that's why he gives us authority to lead, because he actually wants us to look after the flock. And that's a whole different thing between authority that makes us look good as a politician out there in the world, and the spiritual authority which is given by his anointing, which is given by the Spirit of God, and it's not for us, it's for them. Okay, so if you get that right in your heart, then and you and you follow leaders who actually got that right in their heart. It's not going to go wrong for you. Okay, it's actually we can actually celebrate that because they're doing it for us. Okay, and uh, so Paul says that, and he says, "Do not. We, 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 it's not about me. It's about it's about the flock." Um, Adnan is a friend of mine. He's leads a, he leads a church in, in uh, He's one of the leaders of a church in Germany, and. Uh, and uh, so this is, a, this is a church of about 400 people or so um, in, uh, in one of the cities in Germany. And so they're partnering with us. Uh, and uh, they had a, a situation going back a number of years where the leader of the church stepped down. And then he said, he said to the, the elders, and there were four of them, he said, one of, these, one of these two men should take over the church. The actual, let's say, captain of the team, right? And uh, he never called it and, and stepped down. So I was uh, responsible to help this church, and I was involved with this team. And so I had uh, many discussions with that eldership team and, and was very sensitive to that because I'm just praying, and they're praying, like, how is God going to work this out? And after that, after about a year and a half or so, uh, maybe two years, and this man, Adnan, came to me, and he said to me, um, and I, now, together with his wife, he said, I want to say to you that um, although we are... We, there's two of us that are in line for actually taking over the church. I can actually see that that the there's an anointing on the other man to be the leader of the church. 
I can actually see that. I can see that when he preaches, I can see that with some of the dynamics that are happening in our church, that, that God is actually confirming him to be the leader. And so what I'm, I want to say to you is that I want you to appoint the other man as the leader and uh, to help us to put this in place also before the church because I believe this is the best step for the church. Now, you've got to think about that. He has a church of 400 people, two gifted leaders. I mean, it's not like he wasn't a gifted leader. He is still a gifted leader. He's a gifted leader and so is the other man. And he says, I can see that this man is the one that God wants. And so what I'm prepared to do is I'm prepared to lay down any claim I have to lead this church, and I'm prepared to back this man 100%. And that's what he's done. And that church has gone forward, incredibly gone forward. But whenever I look at that church, I don't look at the leader of the church, who's also good, he's a great guy, but I look at the contribution of the number two man. And I say, this man actually put the flock before himself. This man actually decided for the flock because that was good for them. And it's just an incredible story for me. It's not about lording it over. It's about using our authority for the, for the sake of others. And then the other side of this little, little quote uh, from Bill Johnson, uh, where, where we say that we need to serve with the heart of a king, is also really a great, it has a great aspect to it because it means that, that when we serve and in whatever aspect we actually serve, it means that we are not giving up our identity or our dignity in Christ. So we serve with the heart of a king. In other words, the fact that you serve, no matter what job you do, no matter how small that job is that you're actually doing, it doesn't mean that you are now lower than nothing in the church because you're doing the job. Okay, it means that you still are a son and daughter of the king. In other means, it doesn't actually say anything about your identity as to who you are. Isn't that great? That's really great. So it doesn't mean I can, I can put out chairs on a Sunday morning. I can help with coffee on Sunday morning. Yeah, I can um, yeah, put out our flyers on the table. I can do all those things. Does it mean anything in terms of my identity and who I am before Christ? No, not at all. Because I'm serving with the heart of a king. I'm the king's son. And it doesn't matter what task I do. Number six. God-given authority is required to represent God continually. God-given authority is, rep- is required to represent God continually. In, in Numbers chapter 20, Get to that. Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. All right, so just give you a bit of context. Um, Here they are, and they're in the desert, and the people want water. And there's a second, a second example, the second, little, a second big incident, the people need water, and they're crying out, and they're saying to the leaders, help us. And so Aaron and Moses uh, get together and get the people together, and this is, this is what happens, and so this is what we're reading. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron, take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. 
You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And this is where it goes wrong. Listen, you rebels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he shouted, must we bring the water from the rock? And then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. What a pity. Now, this is, you've got to remember, this is not a bad man. Okay, we've listened to all these, we've read all these stories. I mean, this is actually, this is actually a man who's, who's a humble man. He's actually seeking God. He's done so many things right. And so he gets to this point of, in his life, and uh, he has authority. I mean, he has revelation. He's disciplined in his life. And uh, he still misses, at the end of the day, this moment of entering into his full inheritance. Uh, it's not about, it's not, a, not about heaven and hell here. It's about his rewards. He misses the final step. I mean, I'm... I'm trusting for you and I'm trusting for my own life that actually that we're going to get to that, that, that step. We're going we're gonna to actually get into the promised land. That actually that we're not going to miss anything. And any, it, any, whenever the moment comes and I lay my head down to rest and go to heaven, that I've actually entered into the promises of everything that God has for me. That's what I want. I hope you've got that in your heart as well. And so most people would say this. They would say the problem was that he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. All right? And that is part of the problem. But let me say this, that it's not just about striking the rock. It's actually, there's more behind this. And the, the problem was that his, his, his task was to honor God as holy in the, as in the sight of the people. In other words, God said, I want you to honor me as holy. And in the, in the Hebrew, there's a sense in which says this, you shall, it says that you shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul and it says you should, you should honor me as holy in the numbers 20 verse 12 it says honor to honor him as holy hebrew word here meaning to proclaim as morally perfect and beyond reproach so in other words god says that and in actual fact moses the problem is that you did not honor me before the people you did not you did not you did not uh, before the people uh, believe me and trust in me that i was able to bring water from the rock without you actually hitting it so hitting it is great that there's water there, but actually I wanted to do it a different way, and you did not honor me the way I wanted to be honored. That's actually the reason why you're not going to move into the, into the promised land. And so the, 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 the key issue here is that we are required to represent God continually. And that's really a tough thing. We have to represent God. Those that are in leadership need to represent who He is. So when I'm, if I'm leading, and I'm an elder or a pastor, I mean, I want to lead with the, the heart of the Father. What is His Father? I want to actually, when people see me leading, I want them to, see, to look at me and think, well, well, actually that must be something like there's, there's an aspect of His heart and He's got the heart. Uh, that, that's that's got to be, He's re reflecting something of the character of God. Okay, that's what it needs to be. And He wants us as leaders to do that, to reflect who He is and to represent Him continually. And so Moses had not set God's name as 
holy and beyond reproach. That was a problem. Uh, Watchman E says, to be an authority is to represent God. Whether it be in wrath or mercy, an authority must always be like God. Okay, isn't, that a, isn't that a statement? In wrath or in mercy, an authority must always be like God. That means, that, that means for us that, that if we are dealing in love or we're having to deal with an issue, we always have to represent God. And, and actually, he's making a great statement here because sometimes there are issues of truth that we have to deal with. And the thing is, how do we, how do, we do that? Jesus comes in grace and truth. He comes in truth, but he comes with love. In Ephesians 4, it speaks about the fact that we need to, we need to uh, speak the truth in love. Okay? Speak the truth in love. We need to represent him and speak the truth in love. So every time we're dealing with an issue, the point is, and how am I going to represent God in the situation? Not what's good for me, but how am I going to represent God? That is the responsibility of an authority. And that's really tough. It's really tough because, because sometimes there are complicated issues in the church in dealing with different people. And the thing is, how do we actually how do we bring truth and grace? And, and sometimes we can err towards too much grace and not enough truth. And sometimes it's like, was in, there was truth, but there was no love. Okay, and then everyone gets cut up and chucked out and, and, and hurt. And that's what, that's what we don't want to do. And so the most complicated we discussions we have in our eldership team is how are we going to deal with this issue? And that's why our team is so good because we've got people that err more to the side of love and we've got some people that more, err more to the side of, well, the Bible says, yeah. Okay, and when we take both into account and they realize these guys have got something and these guys realize these guys have got something, we end up with a, with a decision which is really great for the church because it's mixed with truth and love, both things together. All right, and that's how we represent God. That's how we represent God. And that's, and that's what happened here. Moses gets it, gets it wrong and he strikes the rock and stumbles at the, the last um, hurdle. And so we need to remember we're expressing our love we're representing God in grace and in truth. And when we do that, we're never breaking people. We're not breaking hearts. We're bringing clarity, but we're doing it in a loving way. And uh, that clarity is that which causes life, the church, to really, to really um, have life. And so another aspect of that which is important, you find this all over the Scriptures, and that is that in representing God, we actually represent justice. If you read in Isaiah 11, it speaks about this, and it speaks about the anointing that was in Christ. And it speaks there about, about Jesus. The, the, about, well, I'm going to actually read that one to you. Um, Isaiah 11, verse 2 to 5. It's not, on, it's not in the notes here, but on the screen. But you just, if you write it down and have a look at this, it says there, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, so that's the first part. It's speaking about the spirit that was on Christ. Knowledge, counsel, wisdom of the wisdom of the wisdom of the Lord will be upon him. Okay, and then in the next two or three verses speaks about what he's going to do. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor, and make fair decisions for the exploited. 
The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So when it comes to representing Christ as a leader, one of the, one of the key aspects is that we need to represent him as a just God. And there needs to be justice and fairness in our dealing with people. Now, just think about what that means for us for a moment. Okay, For me, it means uh, treating our families the same as everyone else. We've had in-laws in our church. We've got children in our church. We've got children in leadership in our church. We've got um, my parents-in-law in our church. And all these aspects of dealing with, with, with them we have to say, if I am actually representing God in the situation, then I'm, I'm a representing justice and fairness. All right? And that means, that means that I need to, in all my actions, I need to create a situation where people say, wow, that's really right. Hey, that's right. Hey, that's in order. That's, that actually is fair. We treat the wealthy the same as the poor. How about that? Yeah, that's right. Do we give privileges to some that we don't give to others? Well, Jesus wouldn't do that. He's going to be just and fair. Are we going to treat, in terms of dealing with sin, are we going to treat the wealthy and the poor different? Yeah, and, though, and, so, and, and, and so it goes on in, into different situations. It is to be beyond reproach. That's why he says an elder needs to be someone who's beyond reproach. It means he has a good, a good reputation in the world. And what is it about? Every single time we make a decision, when I'm making a decision, it's about justice and truth. I realize that more and more. Looking at our salary scale, how do we do that? Hey, it's about justice and truth. How that we actually have things, we have other aspects of the church that need to be transparent. transparent. And our friends in leadership, and etc. etc. Central to all decisions we make, we need to represent God. And then the last point is that uh, we need to have a God, a God-given authority must give account for the use of his of this authority. Uh, and we're going to look, look in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews thirteen eleven. And here's where it really here's a scripture which, um, sorry, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17. You know, we have, uh, I've had conversations with people, uh, both in South Africa and in Germany, where they say, well, why does the church need leaders? Anyone ever heard that? Uh, especially those that are hurt. So, why do we need someone in authority? I mean, and we, we, could, we don't have to have leaders. We can just, just trust the Holy Spirit, just get together whenever we want, it, want to and so on. And so there's that sort of movement um, in the church as well. In Hebrews 13, it says this. And uh, I'm going to read in verse, uh, verse 17. Now, how about this? And this is tough. Obey your spiritual leaders. It's not just like, if you like someone who's a leader, then uh, just follow him, okay? Or maybe you can do some things together. But, I mean, this scripture says, obey your spiritual leaders. But that's not where it stops. 
I mean, if I say that in a new member's group in our church and I say, obey your spiritual leaders, um, they probably will get up and walk out, all right? Because that's not what it's about. We need to see this whole scripture together. And what it says over here is that, is the following. Uh, let me get to the. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Yeah, it's, it even gets, even gets tougher, Okay. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reasons so that they can do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Okay, now, I mean, it's a tough scripture, but we're saying, it's saying here is a, obey your spiritual leaders. And so there's a, the God-given authority must give account for the use of this authority. But the second part of the verse is this. They need to give, they're the ones that give account to God for the soul. So if I'm saying to someone in our church, you know what, um, obey your spiritual leaders, that's, that's okay, but then it needs to be, they, uh, hopefully it's spiritual leaders that at the same time have the peace in their thinking that hey, the other half of that is that I am actually accountable to God for the souls that he's entrusted me with. It's both. And let's think about that. If I, if I walk before God with a, with, a, with a trembling in my spirit, with a trembling in my heart, and I say, I say Lord, um, I'm accountable for this flock. And I mean, sometimes I, I lay in my bed in the middle of the night and I think, oh God, help me. I'm telling you, to be an elder, some people want to, you know, to, to be an elder and to be a pastor, there are people that want to, want to do that. But sometimes on the other, from the other side of the fence, when you read that, and you get that into your heart, and you're saying, I'm accountable for this flock. I'm telling you, that is a tough thing. And so I'm saying, God, I'm accountable for this flock. Please help me. Please help me to do it right because of those people out there that are trusting me for my leadership and for the use of my authority. And if they understand how I see that, and I'm holding that with a trim, with a, with a, with a humility, and with a God help me attitude, I can tell you that those people are in a good place, okay, because they're obeying a leader saying, God help me, because actually your requirement of me is that I re represent you to this flock. Help me to represent you to this flock in the best way possible, and that would be a great leadership team to be following, all right? And so that's what it's about, and so this whole thing, everything we're speaking about here. And, 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 and understanding is that this spiritual authority, it's not about us, it's about them. And if, and if they catch that, if they catch that, they'll be motivated, excited followers. And we'll be leaders that will never, ever take for ourselves, but we will actually be blessing in all that we do. And so, what does that mean for us? Well, I would say a couple of things, uh, maybe in wrapping up. Uh, you could say this to your folk that are following you. Protect, submit to your leaders and protect their reputation. Okay? Submit to, uh, to, to those, to us. If you, you're on a team, some of you are leaders here. Uh, many of you are leaders here. Submit to other leaders. Submit to those leaders. You know, you've got here a couple that's leading the church. Hey, I thought about it. Submit to the leaders. Protect their reputation. That what it means to me like in, in a very practical sense. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But it's so great to have a team around us that protects our backs. And even though we mess it up, they, maybe they confront, to, confront us face to face 
We sort it out, we deal with the issue, but there's no exposing our nakedness to the brothers and to the other folk. That's what leadership is. Okay, so some practical things. How does this affect you? Submit to your leaders, protect their reputation. Uh, now we've also got, we've got, we've got lots and lots of students in our church. Uh, I think, I don't know how many, we, uh, the average age of our church is maybe around 29, 30. And so there's a ton of those young people. And one of the biggest problems with this Generation Y, Generation Z, is that they are, they're not committed anywhere. You know, they're consumers, you know. Give me something that's going to, give me something that's going to inspire me, you know. Give me something that's better than what I can actually, that I can actually see on my mobile phone, you know. Got anything like that out there? Okay, yeah, we'll come and we'll come to your church if you can. And so that's a, they're mobile, they are not committed anywhere, they're living in a globalized community, uh, they won they're this year in England, next year in South America, and then they're back, and then they, okay, that's how they're all moving around. And so you're trying to build a church with people like that. And, and, the, and this, this, is a great, this, is, I mean, this is a great scripture f- from a leadership perspective, but they need to see it from, a, from a, a perspective of a person who's participating in the life of the church as well. So you've got these guys that come and say, well, I said, well <laughs> um, students come in, how long are you going to be here? Well, I'm not too sure. And I said, well, how long, is your, how long are you going to be studying here? Well, I'm come to, I've come to study medicine, and this is going to take five or six years. So I said, well, hey, that's great, you know, that's great. Well, you know, and then I chat to them again, you know, what, what, your, what are your plans in terms of the church? Well, I'm just passing through. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm studying here for five years. I'm just passing through. Five years. Five years, you know. I think to my, and I say, I've actually got to say to this, do you know, are you very sure that after five years you're going to be leaving here? Well, I think so. Well, I can tell you, there's many people that have come here and got jobs here. There's people that have come here and married people in Dresden. How do you know that you're going to be leaving here? Now, what do you, don't you think it's a good idea if you actually commit yourself? We'll. If you move somewhere else, we just release you. But why don't you commit yourself? Because there's so much there's so much that you can gather from a committed relationship. Because we as your we as leaders, you commit yourself to us, we are committed in God to be accountable for you. That means that as you commit yourself, I take responsibility for you and I actually begin to think about how can I raise you up? How can I release your gifts? What things can you do in the church? You actually begin to release yourself because we have a partnership. And should God move you on, we go like that. And you move on. But wow, imagine what you've gained through being in a committed relationship one to the other. And this Bible is about, is about committed relationships. That's how people grow. That's how, that's how we actually get to share truth with each other because we're committed to one another. Okay. Uh, number two. Just a couple of things here, right? Make sure your leadership team is based on authority given by God. Um, as we're going forward, if you're a leader, uh, the team here, there's a team of pastors, elders, make sure that this team uh, is based on authority given by God because that's authority that's going to release life. Number three, if you're a leader, Repent if you've used your your authority in any way that is not honored God. If it's to build yourself up, if it's to lord it over someone else, repent. 
Repent. It's not, it's not the, that's not honoring to God. And come before him in the servant heart. If you're being criticized, or number four, you've been criticized or questioned as a leader. You might have some people in your small group, they, they're nailing you. So they don't like what you do. Um, maybe in the children's ministry, maybe in the worship team, you know, someone's actually criticizing what you do. You know what, you need, to, you need to ask yourself, this is how you do it. You ask yourself the question, is there any truth in what they're telling me? Okay? And if you're not sure, you ask your friend. Ask a leader, ask Anton Hill and say, do you think there's any truth in that? Because sometimes not, there is truth. Often there is truth. So we need to be re- re- able to, to learn. Other times we can't defend ourselves. Okay, there's moments when we actually um, maybe being questioned and we, don't, we, we can't defend our leadership. I think in the church we've got more control over that. But sometimes we have people leave the church, criticize us, talk to the community in the city about us and so on. Nothing you can do about it. Okay, so just trust, um, trust God to defend your leadership if you're under attack. And then, and this, is, this is what I want to finish with this morning, is like really trust Him to increase your authority, that there's more revelation, there's more life in what you do. Not for you. I hope you've got that by now. It's not for you. It's actually for them. It's for the church. It's for the flock. More authority, trust Him with what He's given you. Let him trusting to release which is in what that is in your heart and which is in your which which is which is put into you. Trust him to release those those jewels that are there, those things that are that potential that is there that you haven't actually recognized is there yet. Give him an opportunity to use that latent potential that's in you, uh, more revelation and more life. And do you know what happened with with Moses? Is that he spoke about. The fact that he, he had a rod, there's many, all the, all the, all the different um, illustrations where he actually used the rod. And uh, the scripture speaks about Moses' rod, Moses lifted up his rod, Moses uh, ha- took the rod of God, rod, and then later on, right at the end, towards the end of his life, the scripture speaks about the fact that it was the rod of God. And the rod is a symbol of authority. And so there's uh, many, many, many scriptures speaking about Moses' rod, Moses' rod, Moses' rod. Moses took his rod. Okay, and then right at the end, and I'll read that to you. It says in Exodus 17 verse 9. Exodus 17 verse 9. I mean, you can even read it in verse 5. We're still speaking about uh, the Moses took his rod. The Lord said to Moses... Walk in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at, at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. And then in verse 7 it says, uh, we're in verse, verse 7, going down to verse 9, verse, verse, verse 8, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Okay, so that was, first of all, Moses using his rod in a different way. And then later on, there's a battle, completely different situation. Uh, and Moses is a, is, a, is a leader who's now not at the beginning, but he's, he's, he's developed in his, his leadership. And, and, and this, the scripture speaks about the fact that it's here in verse 9. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding 
the staff of God in my hand. Isn't that amazing? So this, all these incidents, Moses right, Moses right, Moses right. And then there's a, comes a change and he's holding the staff of God in his hands. And uh, for me, it's a picture of how I want my authority be to be remembered. He's given us authority. He's given you authority. And imagine if we could actually develop that and build that and grow in that and that people afterwards will say, man, he had the authority of God. He actually acted with the authority of God and it released all the life that was needed. So I'd like to pray for us. I'd like to pray for us. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for this great group of people. I want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing with each one of them in this church. Thank you for, the, for all the things that you have done in their lives to bring them to this point. And Lord, I'm also aware of the fact that for some, there have been some negative things on their journey. And Father, I pray, to, pray today that they would have a hunger to grow in the things of God, that have a hunger for your anointing and for your authority on their lives to grow, but Lord, not for, not for them, but so that they may be a greater blessing to the body of Christ, a greater blessing in the life of this church. I pray, Father, for an increased understanding. I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that your word would, would grow in our hearts, that, be, that that which has been sown would, would just be fruitful in the hearts of these leaders. Thank you, Lord, that spiritual authority is good for us if it's handled in the right way. It's there to build and not to break down. So, Father, I pray for them that they would have a different attitude to authority. Father, that they will see it as a good thing if handled in the right way. So give us your wisdom, Lord. Give us your understanding. Help us, Lord, those of us that are in authority, excuse me, in authority, that we would be able to handle it in the right way to bring glory to your name. Let us continually represent God in all that we do. Let us hold it lightly. Walk before you humbly and ask you for your guidance so that we may glorify your wonderful name. Pray, Lord, that you'd bless this team. Pray that you'd multiply this team. Pray, Father, that this team would be a blessing to this church in all that they do. Thank you, Lord, for, their, for them being here this morning. Let's pray for your special blessing on them the rest of this day and this weekend in Jesus' name. Amen.